Welcome to Idaho Catholic Podcast. This is Deacon Pat coming to you from western and spacious and beautiful Idaho. We have a great group of guys gathered here tonight, and I'd like to go around the table. And, you know, every week we get together and we talk, and I usually say, who's here? And you guys say, it's Mike, it's John, it's Nick, it's Daryl. But could you say a little bit about yourselves? Could you introduce yourself and go around the table so our listeners know who's here tonight? How about we start right here with Mike? Good morning, afternoon, evening, whatever time zone you're in. Uh, So this is Mike. I am a uh, Caldwell, Idaho resident. I am married with seven kids. I've been a Catholic since uh, 2006. Uh, But prior to that, I was raised in the Protestant Protestant church, uh, mainline evangelicalism. And um, I was... I would call myself a, a cradle Protestant, meaning I was, you know, born on Saturday in church on Sunday, and every other day the the doors were open. Solid, solid Protestant person, and then my pastor converted in a '04 and was, which was a my Protestant pastor, which was a rude awakening for me. And as I looked into it, you know, slowly but surely, all of my um, uh, Protestant beliefs kind of crumbled the foundation of them anyway and so i had to become catholic so that's where i'm at and this is john i'm married uh with two kids i've been catholic for a couple of years now um i was baptized uh lutheran but really i would call myself a cradle uh secularist (laughs) um yeah, uh, didn't uh, didn't come into the church until uh, quite a bit later in my life. Uh, my wife is from a Catholic family, and uh, you know, as we started having our children, uh, you know, getting the children baptized and getting them involved in the church was really important to her and to her family. And so, part of that process was me going through um, baptismal prep and all of those things, and that started opening the doors and uh, prompting some questions for me about, uh, you know, what am I really about? What's really going on here? And that prompted my, uh, my journey into the Catholic Church. And we have a special guest. Thank, thanks, John. Yeah. We have a special guest tonight, uh, Nelson. Nelson, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks, Deacon. My name is Nelson. I'm a seminarian for the Diocese of Boise. I am on my fifth year of seminary formation. I'm on a pastoral year, so nearby St. Paul's Catholic Church here in Nampa. I was born and baptized a Catholic as an infant and had a kind of a Catholic upbringing, but went away from the church and from God from, for many years through high school and college and came back after college, so my mid-20s. So I guess I'm a revert. And then a little, few years after that, entered the seminary. So I'm now 32 and on a plan to be ordained, God willing, a priest in 2021 here for our Diocese of Boise. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. And uh, we know we have a great topic to uh, to talk about tonight. And I, I just realized I skipped myself. And uh, I'm Deacon Pat. And I've been uh, um, hosting, um, along with these great guys, this podcast for a while. Um, I'm 27. No. <laughs> No, I'm much more than that. But look 25. <laughs> but look 25. You're very handsome, very thin. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a permanent deacon. I've been a deacon a little over 10 years. Um, I consider myself an author. I've written uh, numerous novels. 
um, done some traveling, some missionary work, worked in mental health for the last 35 years, and that's probably enough. <laughs> so we sent an email out to talk to the guys to inquire about what might be a good topic that we could share with you this evening. And Nelson replied, and he said that uh, he'd been working a little bit on maybe a series or a topic called uh, Strengthening the Vocational Discernment in Diocese. Uh, Nelson, can you tell us a little bit about um, how this topic came to mind, what kind of work you've been doing with this, and, and let's discuss it a little bit. One of the things we do with Idaho Catholic Podcast is we take certain topics and issues um, that seem pertinent to our life, and especially um, modern-day guys, Catholic guys, trying to live out their faith and live it fervently. We take these topics and we explore them from really our perspectives in life. Um, especially sitting around the table here, we have really a vast diversity of guys here, um, different stages of their life, different family dynamics, and so we can share those perspectives as well. So that being said, Nelson, what can you share with us? Well, I guess I started thinking about it beyond just thinking about my own vocational discernment as far as how to help others or what it looks like to help others or what is the environment that best foster the best fosters a young person to discern their vocation whether it's to the religious life whether it's to the austin priesthood whether it's to holy matrimony or consecrate a single life what are the healthy pillars in a culture that allows for that first started thinking about that in this pastoral year because i've been assigned to not only to saint paul's here in nampa but the pastor of saint paul's is the vocations director for the diocese and so just naturally, a lot of our, of our conversations gravitate to that area. I didn't know that. So that's new. Mm -hmm. Okay. There was, um, there was a staff meeting right after he came back from Poland. He went to Poland for a pilgrimage, took a number of parishioners, and he came back fired up about the faith, about the, the fervent expression of the faith that is very visible in Poland. And one of the things that really stood out to him was how the priests in every parish that they went to in Poland, they were really involved sacramentally and with prayer in the parish. So at any time of the day, you could go into a parish and there'd be priests either celebrating mass or hearing confession, confessions or leading a devotion of some sort. And he does as much as he can in those areas, but he also is restrained by the reality that he has to be an administrator and he happens to have an associate, but that's really rare here in our diocese. Most priests don't have associates. And, and doesn't he have a school? Does he have a school? And he has a school. Yeah, that's got to be just daunting and if you think about it. And he's a vocations director, so yeah. he's got a lot on his plate. Wow. And, but he came back, and before kind of thinking about all of that, he started saying, well, okay, I want to do that. And he brought it to the staff meeting and said, okay, I wanna, I wanna, I'm going to start saying no to some of these meetings and things so that I can be in the church more often, start praying more often, and have more masses available and so forth. And of course, everybody wants that, and all of his staff want that. But at the same time, objections went up carefully, saying, well, Father, we want you to do that, but let's not start any fires. What do we need to do? Is that, is that realistic? Is that feasible? What are, are these groups going to fall apart without your presence and without your support and so forth? And so just as that conversation was explored, I started thinking, what is the underlying problem? Why, why can't the priest be praying? with the people and be more involved sacramentally and in, in formation and so forth. And then we started talking about that and underneath it all is there are not enough priests. One of the, one of the gentlemen who is the business manager, he said, there's not enough personnel. And 
and that's true. I mean, we've known that for a long time. And we know that right now we have more priests that are going to be retiring from our, we already have a shortage as it is, but there are going to be more priests retiring in the next five years than we have seminarians in the seminary. So it's already a problem and it's only about to get worse. And, and I don't think that's unique to Idaho because, yeah. um, you know, I'm from the Sacramento Diocese and I've been hearing about this for the last decade. And, and the bishops, I, I know in Sacramento anyway, the bishops have been thinking about this for a long time and they, they've been thinking about what model can we take because we're not going to have enough priests going around. I know at one point, and I think they're doing this in some areas, especially in some of the rural areas of California, like when you get it close up to by the border or the eastern side of California, they're actually looking for um, deacons to actually be kind of parish administrators. And they're thinking about having priests being on these circuits where they don't have any administrative duties at all. They just celebrate the sacraments. But there's, I think there's pros and cons to that because when you have this traveling priest, then you don't have your parish priest, mm-hmm. I, I think. But anyway, I jumped in there and, and, uh, and interrupted a little bit. Nelson, why don't you continue if you don't mind? That's a great addition to it. And there are many proposed solutions to the problem. So I think everybody recognizes the problem. The problem is universally recognized. And you're right, it's definitely not just in our diocese. Mm -hmm. There are many different uh, proposed solutions. When the more we talk about it, and there are many books out there to save a thousand souls that I brought here. There's another one called Discernment, Do's and Don'ts. There's one called Religious Vocation and Unnecessary Mystery. When we start looking, studying it from a theological level, we ask, well, is God calling enough people to the priesthood? And the answer to that, we know to be yes. God is not going to not call enough laborers for the harvest. Right. So what is happening then? So they're not hearing it, right? They're not hearing it. Right. Yeah. And so then why not? And so then we start to identify like some of the illnesses in the, in the culture. And I, I hope we, we can unpack this a bit more, but just to be clear, like it's what we find is that it's not just a matter of young men not discerning, not answering the call to the priesthood, but rather young people as a whole, both men and women, not being intentional about discerning which vocation they're called to. And instead, mm-hmm. the standard is, well, I'm going to go get married. That's what everybody does. And a select few, a very small percentage says, well, actually, no, I'm going to consider, I'm going to ask if God is calling me into another path. Whereas in reality, the church has never talked about it that way. The saints and the doctors of the church never, never talked about it that way. It's always been, first of all, God calls us all to a relationship with God, calls us all to be saints, calls us all to holiness. As we're living that, he does call us to one of these four vocations. We're all called, every single one of us is called to one of these four vocations. And it doesn't just happen automatically that we just hear we're in prayer one day and there's a locution or an apparition from directly from God or the Blessed Mother that says, okay, this is your, my call for you. No, it's praying, discerning, learning, pursuing, seeking, asking questions, and the questions surrounding these four errors. God, are you calling me to religious life? God, are you calling me to priesthood? God, are you calling me to marriage? God, are you calling me to consecrated life? So what we want to do is build a culture in which every single one of our young men and women are growing up asking the Lord these questions. So I have a question though. <clears throat> so obviously the people responding to the call to be a priest or a religious has been declining for decades now. How is that related to maybe our culture or do you think in general, do you think 
that really people don't have parents or or kind of role models in life who have modeled a prayer life. How many how many of these younger people or these kids that get into these adolescent years and young adulthood they they don't even know how to pray. They've never had an encounter with with Christ. John, John do you have any? Yeah, Deacon Pat, if I may, this is a great insight, and it's something that I've been reflecting on since you started, Nelson. That and I really appreciate this topic for a number of ways. One thing I'd like to add here to the discussion is, um, from the outside of the Catholic Church, the concept of vocations. Whenever you, uh, the concept of vocations within the Catholic Church was something absolutely brand new to me, that I didn't really, uh, I wasn't uh, aware of the concept of what a vocation is, from from a, a Catholic understanding. Um, from the secular perspective, a vocation is I'm going to be a plumber. I'm going to be a logger. I'm going to be this, that, or the other thing. Mm-hmm. What absolutely plagued me in my youth and uh, in high school and going into college and was absolutely a barrier to me was that I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Mm-hmm. I was absolutely adrift. Mm-hmm. And I tried searching everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, did I want to do, do I want to be a forester? Do I want to be an author? Do mm-hmm. I want to, and I could never find anything that, that suited. I didn't have the benefit at that point in time of being able to reflect differently from a spiritual perspective mm-hmm. of instead of focusing on what am I going to, what am I going to do mm-hmm. with my two hands? Because where were you turning to for direction in your well, life? To the world, right? right. <laughs> yeah. You go to the career fields. Okay. What's paying the most? What, what jobs are available the most? Mm-hmm. So the other point that I'll get to in just a moment was, um, you know, if you're looking to a career field that's hiring, that they need people at, that's rewarding and stuff. So, hello, <laughs> you know, vocations within the priesthood or within religious life. I mean, that is that is absolutely opportunity that that is untouched and it's absolutely necessary. I see a lot of, uh, for lack of a better term, millennials, right, that uh, are in the same kind of a boat that I was in, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago, mm. really trying to search for what's important in life. And they're reaching out and exploring different areas, but they haven't had the opportunity to consider what vocation really is and have that discussion. So this would be a great opportunity for, uh, for the church, for parishes to reach out uh, professionally, maybe like a, a professional vocational awareness type of outreach if that makes sense but you know they don't you don't have religion and faith in schools anymore um with the exception of probably catholic schools or or, you know Mm -hmm. parochial schools um you don't really have a lot of religion and faith on on media and tv right um so i just where is the exposure that that these people are getting for them to even have for one, where's the exposure? Are people asking them? Is it does it seem like a viable um, option in right. life for them? Right. And then where do they get the support? Because Nelson, you're right. I believe God is calling, and God's calling all the time. Yeah. But I don't know that they can recognize it, and because they're not exposed to it. One of one of the ways is it being exposed to the discussion. You know, so that would be uh, you know I have I don't have a magic bullet for it, but absolutely having that discussion out in the public square. Of, of opportunities, vocational opportunities, um, even, I mean, 
through a spiritual aspect, I know people are always searching for helping others. And so those opportunities of, of even, um, you know, volunteerism and, and things like that would be, yeah. uh, you know, opportunities. But most, yeah. most of the young seminarians or young priests that I've known over the years, um, for many of them, it was a young priest that for some reason sparked something in them. I think it probably at the same time God had been calling them right. and they, and God was priming them, but it was this in external encounter that they had with someone that they respected and they looked up to, maybe thought was cool at the time, and they saw something in that, and I think they could maybe see themselves in that. This is where I'd love to hear from you, Nelson, because none of us are seminarians. <laughs> and, and how... How does one realize that not only are they being called by God, but that this is a possibility for making a life choice? Right. And, and before I see Nelson's flipping through his book, so but Deacon Pat, you know your your uh, choice and your pathway to be uh, being a deacon, um, you know that's absolutely something that that I could uh, I could pursue. And, you know, a couple of years ago, it wouldn't have even been an option, you know. So, I mean, this is, it's just uh, so much fulfillment from that that I could gain. That That's what I've heard actually over the years. Um, obviously, I haven't been doing this forever, but a little over a decade. But, you know, I do have encounters with people and you get to share your life and, and your, I think that's the one one beautiful thing about religious life or being a cleric. Um, people invite you into their lives. I think it's it's an access, and they invite you in your lives, and you can share really your relationship with Christ, and you build these relationships with other people, and hopefully it's something beautiful, and they can see that, not see it really so much in you, but they can see Christ in you, right. and it sparks what God has been calling you to do at the same time, and I think that's when people can uh, maybe realize the call in a more authentic way when they see somebody else actually doing right. it and having happiness yeah, it, from it. Exactly, and that was the other bow that I wanted to get to too, which uh, goes back to your uh, uh, your direction too, Nelson, is that um, uh, like Father Vogel wanting that more opportunity to go and pray and not being an administrator. So, you know, being able to live that life, you know, as a witness, you know, uh, that's, I mean, this, this plays perfectly into that too. Right, it becomes this, vicious cycle right we don't have enough priests so priests are not as available so then we have less priests so then priests are even less available so then we have even less priests because yeah. the the number one so there's an organization called Vianney vocations and they're essentially a, a consulting firm to help dioceses and religious orders throughout the country to build cultures of vocational discernment and we've been talking with them they published this book to save a thousand souls and they've identified these four pillars that make up a healthy vocation culture the most important the most important of which are priests that are enthusiastic about being in young people's lives and guiding them and walking with them and fostering a relationship with god with them he uses an example oftentimes you will hear priests say and well intended oh you should you should be a priest or, or you'd make a great priest and that's not not that that's not bad although that can be a little if, if, if a young person hears that enough, that can be a turnoff. Mm -hmm. But what he says instead is, okay, suppose you, you see a lector, a young man who is a lector, and he goes up to read consistently, let's say every other week, 
and he's reverent, he's prayerful. You can see in his eyes that he's desiring a deeper relationship with the Lord. Now, what if a priest goes up to that young man and says, I've noticed that you really take your relationship with God seriously. Would you like to start meeting every other week to start talking about how to go deeper into your prayer life? We're going to have a group here in our parish. There's going to be five of us where we're going to be meeting and we're going to be learning about what prayer is, learning what the priesthood is, learning how to discern a vocation and to see if God is calling you to the priesthood. That's the type of mentorship, the type Mm -hmm. of relationship that is missing between oftentimes, not always, but between priests and young people yeah they might not um realize it like when you gave the first example they might see that as that they are doing their duty they're inviting people to maybe consider that but um but i wonder why priests don't do what you just gave an example i wonder is is it fear of meeting with younger people and what might be um, an accusation? Is it? Uh, I don't know what. Why? Why they don't do? Do they not have the time? Are they exhausted because they're at a parish where there used to be three priests and now there's one there? I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, do You're priests probably... get train? Do priests get training on how to do, how to be effective with soliciting, you know, interest in vocations? I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You've probably hit on several of the factors, right? We can't deny that the both the 2002 sex abuse crisis and the 2018 sex abuse crisis have had and will have an effect on what types of interactions that priests have with young people and proper boundaries are really important independent of whether they lead to abuse there mm-hmm. has to be proper boundaries mm-hmm. so that's certainly that can certainly be a factor another one is just not having the training not having the knowledge how do you walk with somebody what does that look like there there are oftentimes language barriers between between priests and young people there are a lot of priests now that are coming from some organizations such as focus the fellowship of catholic university students who have that they were basically training on trained on discipleship before entering seminary there's the united states conference of catholic bishops that is publishing material there's one booklet called the art of mentorship which is geared towards especially exactly this, how to help young people to discern their vocation. One thing I'd like to just bring back to and, and to circle back to and, and clarify is that the priest, at least from these materials that we've been reading, to help a young person discern a vocation is really not to steer them or convince them that they should be priests. It's first of all, the understanding that God created all of us for a relationship. All of us have been made for a relationship with God. That relationship has been broken. Jesus has come to mend that relationship, to reconcile us with himself. Once we take up that invitation to follow Jesus, to be conformed to Christ, to be one with God, that relationship looks like something. Mm-hmm. There is an identity <coughs> to that relationship. The way that a religious person, a religious by religious here, I mean a religious brother or sister, one who takes the, the permanent vows, the evangelical councils, councils of poverty, chastity, obedience. The way a religious person relates to God is different than the way a diocesan priest relates to God. And that's different from the way that a married man or woman relates to God. 
And that's different from the way a consecrated single person relates to God. That relationship is what the discernment of the vocation is. So it's really, so going back to your point, John, about discerning a vocation from a worldly perspective, what is my activity? Am I gonna be a plumber, an engineer, an architect, a teacher? Those things are great questions to ask, but that's really not the question we're asking in vocational discernment. Mm -hmm. It's rather, how am I going to relate to the Lord? And that question stirs, stems from, how is God calling me to relate to Him? And it's in the way that I relate to God that my life will be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm listening to you talk, Nelson, and, and a thought that comes into my mind is, I wonder if we're putting too much of an emphasis as we're growing up and we're trying to decide who we are or what we're going to do in life on what are we going to do in life mm -hmm. instead of who we are exactly. in relationship to God. Yeah, that's exactly and what I was trying to hit out. Because what you, were, what you were just saying, the way I was understanding it was, we need to first and primarily understand who God is, who we, what is our relationship like with God? How do I interact with God? How does he interact with me? And then I can choose what I'm going to do in life otherwise, but for the greater glory of God always. Right, right. But I think we've lost that. I think there's a disconnect. I think people don't, eat, don't think that way yeah, right. <laughs> at all. I think God is secondary in many people's lives. Well, and always, and there's a simplicity to it too. Right. When you focus on what's most important, <laughs> you know, when you focus on your relationship with God, all that becomes secondary and you come to the realization that in everything that you do is for the glory of God. So went, that puts everything right into perspective. You know, I, I went through this faith formation program quite a few years ago. It was called the Disciples of Jesus and Mary, and it was a four-year formation program for the laity. And it was just wonderful. It had th different sections of it. You spent a whole year on prayer. You spent a whole year on understanding what discernment was. You spent a whole year understanding what discipleship was. And, um, and, but, but one of the things it did was you spent a whole year really going over your past experiences and seeing how God had been forming you over all these years through your successes and your failures. What were the virtues he was trying to develop within you? Who was he trying to really um, form you to be? And it took a whole year to kind of figure this out going through this process. And once you understood really who God had called you to be as a person and what your relationship was like with him, then you went into discernment. And then discerning what is what does he actually want you to do at that point, and then it teaches it taught us these skills about when you want to make decisions in life, you first have to go back to who has God formed you to be, and really you can look through your like I said your successes and your failures because they always coordinate with a virtue, and you can see what the virtue what what are the virtues, what kind of virtuous person has God been trying to create you to be? Is it to be this humble? faithful servant if that's what he's been trying to form you through the last 50 years of your life whenever you're going to make a decision you go back to is this going to make me be a better humble faithful person is it not then that's not the right decision anyway so i just think but we have to we, i think we have to learn these skills and, and and apply them in our lives to keep god really at the focus of our life mm -hmm. So, Mike, you've been really um, just talking way too much, um, but I can tell you've been sitting back pondering some of these thoughts. 
What's you know, one thing that stood out in your well, mind? Based on the history of these podcasts, you know, I'm usually the guy that brings the catechism and quotes from it. Just because I, I really don't feel like I have a lot of value to add, but if I quote the catechism... You look I'm, really then, smart. Then I'm and adding value. <laughs> and doggone it, the word discernment is not in the catechism. I don't well, believe it. What's going on there? Can, can I not spell? <laughs> How do you spell discernment? <laughs> D, D-I-S-C is not in here. So... Okay, I, moving I, right I, along. I'm, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> Well, well, I want to come back to you, Nelson, because I think you have a lot of information and a lot of thought for um, for us to kind of ponder. Did you? So you talked about the four pillars, and I know you spoke about this being enthusiastic. Did you touch on the second pillar yet, or the second pillar has to basically a sim- along similar lines, but in regards to families. So, how can oh. families create healthy cultures of vocational discernment at home? Okay. The third is similar lines but with youth ministers religious educators catholic school teachers a lot of times those are the people that are spending most of the time with our with the youth especially let's say a catholic school teacher who has several hours a week with uh with a young man or a young woman so how to how to develop that culture um in the home but i'm curious mike about your comment that's really interesting that there's the word discernment is not in in the catechism so what do you what do you what do you think that means, or what it, where does that lead us? Maybe it means that I don't know how to spell it right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, it's probably it, it. That's my feeble attempt at humor by saying that. It, it, I'm sure it's in there underneath a different word that is a synonym for it. But I'm, I'm sure it's spread throughout here somewhere. But in the the moments that I tried to prepare for this talk while we were Deacon Pat was making the opening statement I, I wasn't able to locate it <laughs> <laughs> no, no I knew you must be joking yeah. because I think you spend at least an hour in prep work right before you come to these podcasts oh, don't make me sound so pathetic <laughs> well no Mike I gotta I gotta spin it back around though as a, a father of seven kids you guys you and your wife do a, a lot awful lot of work with your your kids with discernment and um and that discussion has got to have come up in in your life a couple of times. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, yeah. I mean, we have we have seven kids, four boys, and then we have two girls, uh, three girls rather. And I know that um, one thing that we we struggle with, and I wish was more readily available, is is having more religious in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, the but I mean, despite the fact that we really don't hang out with a lot of priests, um, hardly any other you know religious people, uh, or you know everyone we talk to, we hang out with is religious. What I mean by that is other religious in the Catholic term of the. Anyways, I think people know what I mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so my old my I, I have uh, two boys that I have one boy that wants to be a priest, I have one that wants to be a monk. I have another one that says he wants to be Pope. And then we have a six-year-old, and you know, she, she, the, the, my boys sometimes tease her that she's going to grow up and have kids. She's like, no, I'm going to be a sister. And she starts crying because, you know, so that's like, <laughs> I don't know what we're doing, really, besides well, what, just I mean, what are you? Are taking our faith seriously, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I can remember 
uh, you know, several years ago when we first became Catholic, and I learned about this thing called the Baltimore Catechism and how, you know, all these old people were raised on the Baltimore Catechism and how antiquated it was. That, I don't know if that, those terms were used, but um, it was the the fact that that's, that's the old way of doing it, the new way of doing it is better. And I, I, I saw where, where the church was at, you know, as of late, and I was like, okay, that, that's, that's not right. So what I did is I went out and I bought myself an old-style Baltimore Catechism, and... I, I like that method of teaching much better than the cartoons and stuff and the, the simple stuff they're learning today and, and, and the RE classes. And I don't, I'm not saying I, I you know, am the best at and the most consistent with teaching that, that way to my kids, but um, I think that's the best way to do it is some hardcore learning to raise the bar for them. I, I, I see what they have to learn in RE now and it's like, the focus is on them learning. Um, it, 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 this is my, just my perception, but the focus seemed to be on, do they know the Our Father? Do they know the Hail Mary? Do they know the Glory Be? And I'm like, doggone it, we say those with our kids every single day mm-hmm. we're saying those prayers. My, my, you know, and we even say the act of contrition um, well, we, you know, almost every single day. Yeah, we do too. So it's like, if that's the focus of RE, then we're not doing something. We need to get back to raising the bar for our kids, expecting more from them. And I think if we, if we try to um, take away the seriousness of the faith and the discipline of the faith, and we make it something like, you know, at school you have to, you know, you have to take six subjects, you have a textbook for every subject, you have tests, you have all this stuff. It's like they're making it seem important. Whereas at church, it just seems like, I don't know. We don't make it seem as important as it should be. Learning the faith, you know. Well, I I, I know that your son comes uh, to adult education class. My my two boys want to come also. So you know we've we've we had have had some great topics there and some, you know some really yeah. high, higher caliber presentations and you know like you said it, it's a it's not a higher bar. It's just taking things more seriously. Right. You know, yeah. and it's, uh, I think the children get the benefit of seeing adults sitting around learning, you know, because adults don't know everything, <laughs> you know, but us sitting around discussing things, having fun, and they're part of the, right. the process also. When we were, so that's, the, when we were going through RE at, at, at one place, my kids, I just got, got so sick of them saying, you know, I don't want to go to class after mass. It's, they treat us like babies, you know, and I got so sick of that. And I'm like, I kept telling them, you're going to get treated like a baby your entire life. I'm 45 years old. People treat me like a baby. And you just kind of have to smile and go with it, you know? And just no matter how many babyish things, you know, they're going to tell you 10 baby things. Well, that 11th, that 11th one might be the gem that's going to change your life. So just hang in there. But then I, I was kind of like, okay, well, let's do it then. It, you, they treat you like babies. Let's go to the adult class. And so this was at a different parish. But they were going through... Um, uh, they're doing a, a Scott Hahn series. What is his his institute he created? It's like a St. Paul mm-hmm. theology of, of the street evangelization. Uh, no, Bible Bible theology, theology <laughs> biblical studies, or something yeah. like that. I don't know. So I took him to that, and after the first, you know, they get a workbook, you know, and they're learning all about the different themes of the Old Testament and and the typology. And after the first, you know, it's like a 
X week course, I don't know, six week course, you know, after the first night, they're like, yeah, that's real Bible study. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's great. So, yeah. Hey, so we we're almost out of time, you guys. Um, Nelson, if someone wanted to really to read up on this, you mentioned a couple of books, but do you have at least one book that that maybe you could um, um, tell us that would be a good read for somebody that would help us kind of explore this topic a little deeper? Putting you on the one spot. Book, I'm yeah. sorry. Let me okay. read. Or let me one read or you, two. Okay. Let me read this paragraph here. The discernment of your vocation is the most important decision you will ever make. It is an art, and it must be learned by effort and practice. It is not sufficient just to read about vocations. To discern well, a man or woman must be humble, courageous, and prayerful. One must really desire to know the will of God and be willing to work to discover it. I think, and of course... Who is this book addressing? This, this is a quote from To Save a Thousand Souls. This is a book towards people that are already living a life of discipleship. So if we really want to be scrupulous about... Um, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for here? About analyzing the veracity of his statement, we would wanna, we'd want to ask, well, who is his audience? And his audience is not the entire population of the world. To that audience, the most important decision would be to follow Jesus or to not follow Jesus. To the audience of the people that are following Jesus, then the next question becomes, what does that look like? How do you relate to Jesus? And to here he's saying the most important decision within following Jesus is the discernment of one's vocation. So to, to study, yes, what do we study? To save a thousand souls. What do we study? The scriptures. What do we study? The catechism. What do we study? The lives of the saints. What do we study? The papal encyclicals. What do we study? The, the Summa Theologia. What do we, what do we study? the um, imitation of Christ. Yes, all these things. Are we taking what we're studying to prayer? Are we developing a relationship with God? Are we each moment of our lives dying to self so that he can live his life through us a little bit more in each moment? Are we making decisions like you said, Deacon, where each decision that we make is making us more virtuous? Where we're, cruci- where we're being crucified for the sake of the salvation of the world. Are we living our lives in this direction? Oftentimes, a young man or woman may be blocked from discerning their vocation because they're living in sin. So if that's the case, sure, reading a book can help, but have you been intentional about saying no to Satan? And ha- did you do that Monday? Did you do that Tuesday? Did you do that Wednesday? As we're saying yes to the Lord, a little bit each day and more and more each day, we trust that He is going to guide us. He's going to put the right people in our lives. And for somebody, that might be a book. So if you want a book, read To Save a Thousand Souls. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with us. I can't believe our time is up already. I think it's a perfect lead-in for next week. So what we talked about this week, I think we'll just lead in, and we can ponder this throughout the week, but it'll lead into next week's topic where we talk about really friendships. And I think about reading and making these choices about life and discerning these choices. We also need to surround ourselves with good people, good, virtuous, holy people that we can learn from, that we can really just embrace this journey together towards Christ. 
Well, thank you for listening tonight. It's always a pleasure and honor to spend time with you. I hope you have a beautiful evening, a beautiful day. And remember, God will forever want you in his embrace. God keep you. God bless. Good night.